Oh my gosh, it works. Hi. Hey girl. Hey. Hi Mel. Um hi everybody else. Yeah, that's true. And, um, <laughs> welcome to the Sankofa Book Club. Uh, my name is Aquia. And I am Melody. And we are recording remotely. That's why I had to greet Mel. Yeah, it's true. It's a bit of a surreal moment, isn't it? Normally I see you right in front of I me. No. Oh, I feel like I'm doing the podcast alone. But I can hear you it's though. Not... I know. Oh, maybe I should put you on FaceTime or something. Nah, I'm nah. just not that deep. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Mel? How's your day, week, month been? It's been good. I feel like I'm getting into the flow of things a bit more book club wise as you'd probably say for yourself too. And then um, work-wise, I think I'm I'm not ready to go back, but I'm ready to go back, if that makes sense. Mad. Yeah. It does. So that's where I'm at. How about you? Yeah, another day, another dawn, another dollar. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I see it. It's like, you know what? I've done my, my pay's worth. I'm a, I'm a head out, you know, like that SpongeBob meme. Well, but for the most part, I am well. I'm happy. I'm whole. I'm healthy. I'm a tad tired, mm. but you know, nothing that sleep and um, a cup of tea won't fix. True. 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 Before we um get into things, though, we said Ooh. that we will tell people about ourselves, how they can follow us, because <laughs> they probably crop it out at the end. Oh no. I probably made like admin suggestions in the middle of our last podcast. So guys, if you like our basic chit chatter today, because we're a little bit tired, there's plenty more where that came from when we're a bit more excitable. Follow us on Twitter at the for BC, on Instagram, the BC. Your mum can follow us on Facebook because that's the only <laughs> person who uses it from now on. Facebook.com slash the for BC. Um, apparently we're on Goodreads, not updated that in a while. These are my confessions. Um, <laughs> and you can like, comment, share, subscribe and follow. Um, and also slide into our DMs. Um, that reminds me, Mo, I need to tell you somebody slid into our DMs because people actually listen to this. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, lovely to have you. If you want to stay in touch, if you want the memes and the gifs to keep flowing, the podcast banter to seep into your social media life, we got y'all. All right. Well, today we're talking about Through the Leopard's Gaze, which is one of the did 20 we introduce, in 20... Oh, go did on. we introduce the book club? Do we have to introduce the book club now? I mean, at this point, yeah. You should okay, know fine. that we explore all things to do with African culture, African history, through African literature. And if you didn't, well, then I just told you. But a... <laughs> so on to the actual program <laughs> the way our fatigue is manifesting is actually just it's true you just need to push through man yeah. so we are reading the book called through the leopard's gaze um by njambi mcgrath she is the author of one of the 2020 jacaranda um books that they published this year um so yeah i believe hers was the first actually oh sick oh nice so yeah, there, there's so. 19 more where that came from, if you've enjoyed reading this book. Um, let me start with the synopsis then. So the story starts off with an invitation to her brother's wedding, which the protagonist in Jambi has mixed feelings towards attending. The reader joins the journey of revisiting in Jambi's fondest and turbulent childhood memories, all the while sharing the shocking effects of colonial rule on Kenya and particularly the Kukui people. So... 
in a nutshell, this book basically is about survival, courage, when all else fails, and it examines human cruelty and strength in equal measures. Context and setting. This is the memoir of Jambi McGrath. It's set in Kenya throughout majority of the book and also in London, where she spent the latter child of her childhood and currently resides. This book also covers the historical context of Kenya during... Whoa. The Ashanti and me nearly jumped out during colonization (laughs) and the years following their independence in 1963. Also, I think it's Kikuyu. Kikuyu. Next time, innit? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I can't go back and forth with you on this. (laughs) Hashtag pray for Mel. That's all. She really tries. Can I say this, actually? She did. Sometimes I give her notes as well. It's true. <laughs> if if people could actually snoop into the the description that you've given me at the end of the notes that we're looking at now, <laughs> I have to say this: Mel really tries. She does like ask Honestly, before and check before, but she is a scientist first. I am. I am, man. So, guys, forgiveness, forgiveness. Um, love you. Oh, I love you too. <laughs> Again, how this fatigue is manifesting. Apologies. So tell us about the author's background, Mel. So she is a comedian, um, has been recognized as one of the top five upcoming female comedians in 2012. Um, She's been shortlisted for BBC Radio Comedy Awards and made an appearance on various TV shows globally. Um, She's writing her second book, which I think... That's sick. We both could say that we'll probably read um, after this one. This book uh, actually got picked up for TV rights as well, ooh, which is amazing. Yeah, killer. nice. Um, a fun fact: she's trilingual. Um, she's also a blogger and podcaster. I feel like that general description of Injambi really just shows that she's just dope all around. So, yeah, she she has an accolade from just last year. Actually, she was the winner of the prestigious Hackney Empire New Act of the Year. 2019 yeah so yeah it's not just 2012 that she was killing it she's still killing it currently presently futurely (laughs) all of that good stuff mel what did you think of the book i flipping loved it so i mean it it took me a while to get into the book but i think that's just because of current affairs um pandemic wise black lives matter wise but when I really did get into it, I was able to smash like half, three quarters of the book in one day. A day? Yeah. Oh my God, that oh. means that we spoke, you really hadn't read much. No. <laughs> also, that day, you know, you texted me. That was the day I started reading it. Wow. We're listening These are to our it. confessions. Here we go. Said you got one on the way. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I I loved it. I think she covered like a vast amount of material in just one book and managed to keep me engaged the entire time, which I think is, yeah, credit to her school. So yeah, I would read it again. I've already said at some point in life, I'm going to read it again. Mm. How about you? I really enjoyed this book. And Jambi, if you're out there and you're listening to our small podcast, thank you. This was such a great, a great story. Um, I feel like it, kind of reminded me why we do this um it's I think also like I have a heavy bias for like personal narratives um I used to judge myself quite harshly and just say I was a basic bitch and I just like to see myself in books but I just have a love for personal storytelling it is what it is um 
you know, some people like crime. Some people like nonfiction. I like a banterous person to tell me about their life and beyond. Um, It was really, really great. I think how she wove her personal story, her journey as well as her story. um, Also the the story of Kenya and their journey. All of that good stuff. It was really inspirational. I love that um, she's lived a full life and tells Mm -hmm. us all of it. You know, it's not just the like oh, I had quite uh, an interesting childhood. Let me write a story about it. she It's like she kept living. There was more to the story. She let the story build up and that could be for several reasons and that maybe it wasn't an initial plan or, you know, she had her own personal things to go through before she decided to publicize it. Actually, I'm actually not sure what the journey was to actually writing this book, but Jambi, I want to thank you because it's a great story. I think it's come at a perfect time um especially where she is in her life as well it we we have such a wholesome narrative um it was brilliantly written definitely I always add people to my top three so I'm gonna start adding people to my top 10 because even as I look at my bookshelf oh boy um (laughs) halfway through I was okay you guys I've been going through a season of audiobooks because life. But halfway through the audiobook, which is also narrated by Jambi, um, I decided I needed to buy this book. I needed to hold it in my hands. And it it prompted me to come back to that sensation of like feeling the words um, mm. and and actually like reading a book. It really whet my appetite for that again. Um, I really enjoyed the audiobook as well. Um, some feedback somebody gave me once about um, audiobooks is like, oh, they find that the narrator sometimes skews the book for them but I mean Mm. I I think we had the perfect narrator um so you could only really love it in her voice do you know what I mean Mm. shout out to Adjo Ando um so yeah I I love this book she has a great storytelling ability which is no surprise as a comedian and yeah I highly recommend it um and I so look forward to what else she has for us it's an excellent debut. Yeah, man. Nice. Let's go into our first theme. Yes, so we're going to talk about three themes. They're not like the conclusive best three themes of the book, but the three themes that we want to pick out. There are a lot of things that we repeat on this podcast because Mel and I are Mel and I. <laughs> True. And then, but just also, I I think the nature of our podcast anyway, even if we do have a, a theme that has come up more than once, we're going to speak about it from a different perspective. That's true. On the book. So we're good at that. Yeah. Don't hate man. I'm not hating. Uh, no, 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 no. Just, that was, that was <laughs> to the people that are like, Oh my gosh, they keep thinking about the same thing. Oh my God. <laughs> it's only because we've chosen some quite different themes to what we normally discuss. And it will probably feed into what we normally discuss, mm. but I don't, I don't want people to listen to this and think that these are the b- biggest aspects of the book. There's so much in this book. There's loads to unpack. There's loads you can learn from this book. So yeah, um, the first thing we wanted to discuss was trauma. And I use a very reliable source um, to give you guys the definition of trauma. So Google says trauma is a deeply distressing <laughs> or, or disturbing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we, we chose to pick that out is I think there were quite a lot of difficult experiences that were talked about in this book. And I also think there are a lot of social norms that we don't discuss as traumatic because they're just such a part of everyday life um things like childhood bullying 
you know people Mm. say things like everybody gets bullied at school but that doesn't take away from how deeply distressing or disturbing an experience it is for you um so it's a very broad topic but I'll start by just talking about it from the perspective of the characters and firstly this you know quite early in the book we see how brutally um abused Jambi was by her father and we kind of hear that um throughout the book and how different members of the family experienced it Mm. um however I'm a firm believer in hurt people hurting people let me use Mm. my proper English before my mom shouts at me when she hears the podcast hurt people hurt people she hates when I drop my teeth um (laughs) (laughs) and even though um violence is inexcusable um it's quite clear in the way that Jambi tells the story which is what I so appreciate about it she actually portrays her father as a human being this whole the whole way through um which is I think the utmost respect you can give to anybody it's not tainted by her experience although we still get her real experience and we get her mother's experience and her siblings experiences but we also see the man that her father was and why maybe he behaved the way he did um so in discussing the Kenya that he grew up in, there was a, there was a part where she said that um, a family member once said to her that he grew up at the worst possible time mm. or he was born in like the worst possible time for Kenya. And all the different difficulties that we see him go through. Um, there's also like this stigma of a man being a man. I, I can't imagine what it's like to invest in something Mm-hmm. Um, and then get paid like a pittance compared to your brown counterparts um, just because you're a black man working on something versus an Indian man working on something. And these must have been traumatic experiences for this man who just carries on. She never talks about, oh, and then he went away to my uncle or a pastor to speak about it, which is not surprising. That's not the narrative I hear from most African men. Um, beyond my generation that's not a fact it doesn't mean that's the same for everybody but culturally we don't always talk about things especially the older generation so he clearly went through a lot of trauma which has then passed down Um, and it also made me realize what was going on in a queer's life for her to act up the way she did at times Um, but I think this is also just given um currently what we're living through um I'll touch a bit on like the black experience um in this 2020 um I think there's a lot of trauma that we carry and consider normal we, I touched on this in our last podcast about how shocking it was for me that the rest of the world was now paying attention to something we see all the time it's strange that we're used to trauma it's not okay yeah. <laughs> it, um and it, it shouldn't take like you know Caucasians saying oh my god that's terrible for you to realize this traumatic or sometimes to sit in a counselor's chair or psychologist chair um for us sometimes it's needed obviously sometimes you do need another perspective but there are also a lot of things that we blindside which I think is cultural it's to do with strength and endurance which black people have to do all the time in order to survive and Sometimes there's a notion that, oh, you go back home to Africa where everything will be fine. And we can even see from Jambi's experience when she met up with her dad and his family and, of course, her father's experience that that's not guaranteed. You can still be a second rate citizen in your own country. 
um, depending on where you are. Um, and even like you, literally the color of your skin. So as I say, this is a very broad topic and there's so much we can digress. Um, but I think she kind of handled that very well in that she didn't hide um, her trauma and her experiences and also kind of showcased what other people were going through so we didn't judge them too harshly. I don't even know how to describe it. This was one of the first um, memoirs I've read where I think I really, the the account just felt so personal, Mm. but I didn't like cry the whole way through personal, you know, it didn't feel like I was living it with her. I just believed it. Mm. I I just, when I heard it, I just believed it, which is, I was like, oh, I want to read this. I want to hold this as well. I want these words to come to life in a new way. I just believed it. Um, So yeah, I've kind of touched on trauma and trauma and and back to, you know, how I felt about the book as well. What about you? What, What do you have to say about trauma? It's, I, th- I th- so at the back of the book, um, at the end of the synopsis, it says that it's a full expo- exploration and declaration that we are who we are because of those around us. And I think that is mm. so, it just exemplifies, I think, what Njambi was trying to demonstrate through this book, especially through learning more about how her father and mother came together, how she was conceived. So I was, I, I mean, my mouth dropped when I found out she was conceived out of rape. Um, Mm. And how she even reasoned with that was saying that, well, it was something like rape culture was something that was just normal for her dad. That's what he saw growing up. It's how men treated women. It's how um, the Brits treated Kenyans, um, um, female Kenyans. So it's just something that he became instinctive it's how he wanted to demonstrate well love at that point to her Mm. in such a violent kind of way and was it love or was it power though well he was he was deeply infatuated with her like he would see her on the train the lunar express and he would he just wanted her to be his girl and maybe it's through like the intensity of the emotions and Njambi's mom would would just cock block she wasn't interested in her in him anyway and I think in an effort to kind of show his, himself up, he was like, well, let me just inflict power um, in the most loving way. It sounds really weird. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know quite how to articulate it uh, besides that, really. But I think in some ways he wanted to show that he cared about her, but in the least caring of ways. But that's all he knew, mm. which just makes it crazy. Um yeah, it just goes to show, I think, the insidious nature of of trauma. When, like what you said, hurt people hurt other people. It's so true. And I think we often forget that. And I, I think his behavior was inexcusable. But it allows you to, and not even but, sorry, that negates what I was trying to say. And it allows you to recognize that people don't just end up where they are right through what they were exposed to um and also Hitler did not get up one day and he's like why isn't everyone blonde exactly (laughs) like yeah (laughs) yeah so it's a combination of factors that you can't control like upbringing and then also decisions and actions you take as an adult when you're fully conscious so yeah it's just so layered 
And I think that's that's what makes trauma really difficult to unpack as well. So I think what I loved about this book was the resolve that Njambi came to. Um, it sounded like she came to a place of peace, um, didn't justify certain actions, but she was able to find reason in it. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think that was something that she was f- fortunate to have. And there are some people out there that I'm sure are either still on that journey to trying to find reason behind why they went through what they went through or some people that feel like they will never be able to, they won't be afforded that um, that possibility. And yeah, it just goes to show how layered it is really. Okay, so the next theme we wanted to discuss is domestic abuse, which I don't think we have to define like trauma. It's quite clearly an abuse of power in the home. And this was something, this and trauma, even though this feels very heavy, these are both... Um, themes that ran throughout the story that you couldn't really ignore and as um Jambi says on the blurb these are the things that kind of shape the person can you say that quote again I actually really like it it says it it is a full exploration and declaration that we are who we are because of those around us aha uh-huh. we are who we are because of those around us and this was something that was inflicted by somebody who was around her for a large majority of her upbringing So, yes, uh, main character's father was abusive to everybody, I think physically um, and psychologically. And I think, as we said already, hurt people hurt people. And he's probably just playing out what he experienced. Um, But, yeah, it's, it's just... It's a lot, man. I don't know what else to say. It's a lot. It is. Do you, do, you know what, do you know what's interesting about how it unfolded? So in the beginning of the book, we she, we hear of Jambi running away from home. She got beaten up mm-hmm. by her dad. And she's now going to meet um, my two, her mum. And after that, we kind of see, we see that we get an insight into their family home before the dad gets abusive again yeah so that that was a bit trippy in my mind because in the beginning I thought this guy like (laughs) I just wanted to uppercut him and then you hear about how he was um wasn't like that and so and the contrast in behavior it made Mm -hmm. it quite difficult to to process I was like oh he's not that bad yeah I couldn't call him an antagonist yeah I wouldn't say he was the bad guy maybe we we have that opening scene, but for the rest of the book, I didn't really see him as a bad guy. I just saw him as trouble. Yes. That's how I would label it. Yes. And how, I mean, there was an obvious change in his success and wealth. And that's when that change in mood kind of, we, we got to see that as readers or read it as readers. Um, mm. But then at the, towards the end of the book, then we hear about his upbringing. So we come full circle into kind of understanding why he, he became that way but I think Mm. it was really confusing for the kids because when um, Jambi notes in the book that she saw him um, her dad and her mother dancing she wanted to go back to those days when she was in that the pink pebbled house I think that's what she said and um, there's that that's a clear fond memory or when she went to the um, I think she was buying school uniform yes when she was going to boarding school and she went out to go and eat with her dad that was another fond memory as well but it's when dad's um, business in Uganda was kicking off and um, 
yeah, the power just got to his head. And I, and also with her, her sister, is it Queen? Mm-hmm. Yes. So when she um, was basically acting out because she wanted attention, how that put strain on her mother and father's relationship, that also added to, um, yeah, the change in mood and therefore the, the d- domestic abuse that prevailed after that. It was just, oh, it's just so layered. By no means is it justified, but it's just so layered. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I do find um, domestic abuse is very common in sexist societies where women are viewed as less than Mm. or as property. And we're we're beginning to see more and more equality and it's not um, unheard of for people to leave those situations. It's not like everybody is bound. But as we mentioned, it's not just a physical abuse. It's also a a psychological abuse so and I think even it there was there was a scene where somebody accused Maito of cheating and they went to court or there were definitely times where the the abuse had been brought to like the public arena and nobody really did anything and you know even when the kids were beaten no one really says anything um, which I think also perpetuates the, be- the 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 misbehavior in quotation marks misbehavior, but the abuse it is what it is. Um, so again, as you say, it's not it, it's it's inexcusable, but sometimes our society and our culture actually perpetuates this. Like actually recently, there's this there's been this thing on Twitter, um, which all started because do you know about this debunge? And his situation. Oh gosh, yes. Right. So that happened. Um, he's a popular Afrobeats artist who was accused of raping someone. She went missing. She retracted the statements. Like all sorts happened. But then it kind of spiraled this conversation in West Africa um, about, you know, these abusers and people who've done terrible things. It also kind of sparked conversation here in London, but this is almost all online. And then, like, people were sharing their experiences um, and people that they had had, like, run-ins with and had been abused by. Um, and it, it, it's it been really difficult to watch because this is a screen, right? So it's just people you see online, but other people have had to interact with them and they just seem like normal, everyday kind of people. And when the conversation was happening in Ghana, because obviously I have a few friends in Ghana, the the rhetoric was like it's the ones that you're chilling with it's the ones that you're partying with it's the people that we think are super cool um so if you know they move mad or you've seen them do something and you just shrug it off now's the time to say something um so it's really difficult to be in a situation where you've been abused and you kind of like take responsibility for it. You know, there's like, there's that horrible narrative. Like, why does she dress that way if she didn't want it? You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think if we recognize it, if it makes us feel that uncomfortable, we should absolutely, sorry, absolutely take a stand and and say something. Mm-hmm. And even in this lockdown period, there's been a surge of domestic abuse cases because everybody's stuck at home. Um, so if you are living with somebody who abuses you, there's literally nowhere else for you to go. Um, and yeah, I think that enough is enough. Um, 
and wherever we're in a difficult situation we shouldn't feel ashamed for what we've experienced you just need to speak your truth like Jambi has mm-hmm. um and if you know of a way you can help someone you know at some point there was also like a like um a message going around like if I'm friends with your abuser let me know um and even that kind of sparked something else so there's definitely power in unity and the abusers don't have all the power we as women can do something about it through our our unity so you do not have to suffer in silence if you're out there and you suspect you're being abused um there's definitely lots of resources and people that can help you so do reach out and or just run away like Mito like you know, for want of a better word, sorry, mum, fuck it. You just have to run mm. away. <laughs> you just have to go. <laughs> what was really unique to this story as well, I think, um, compared to other kind of Western stories that I hear of, um, whether it's the mother or father running away from their abuser, is like the one-by-one kind of strategy that was used. So the mother ran away um and found found a place where she could stay and regain her strength and set up her life again. And then one of our other siblings ran away and then the sibling came back for another sibling. Um, yeah, I don't, I, it just felt like it was very unique to the story, maybe because the community, everyone kind of knows one another. Um, mm. Cause even how, like when, when one of the other siblings, I think it was the boy, um, the way in which he was kind of introduced to this new life was that I think a farmer said to him, oh, there's someone by by the bush. Come and speak to them. It was his sister. She was like, bro, we're going to London. And <laughs> do you, I, I, like I could picture it, maybe it's because setting wise is very different from somewhere in the West, but it, it sounded quite unique to me, like in the one by one kind of, let's help one another to kind of get away. Um, Yeah, strategy, if that makes mm. sense. <laughs> Uh, should I go into the third theme? I just want to say sorry for swearing. F it. <laughs> Aww. It's okay. You are forgiven. Cheers. So the third theme is African trade. Um, reason why we're talking about it is more with a focus on business dealership with, with Africa. Um, specifically in the book, we find out that Baba was an entrepreneur. He would go to Uganda often and, and sell products that were just pause pause did you just say entrepreneur yeah entrepreneur everybody go back to the fisherman episode where no! Mel and Benjamin roasted me for saying entrepreneur they were like nah, no entrepreneur. friend friend they were no, like friend. entrepreneur entrepreneur friend are it's, you kidding me it's the way you said entrepreneur did i say uh, like entrepreneur or did i say it's a french word bro. what do you want you me just to do tra- nah you just you were begging you were begging begging, begging. you guys are jarring begging jarring anyway Sorry, that was that was that harmony wasn't tight but you know it jarring. wasn't <laughs> <laughs> I'm fuming. You I just know you are. You fully cut me off to come and defend yeah, yourself. So, I was like, what the heck? something that was you said, back. like, was this two years ago? Two years ago. More than two years, bruv. Maybe oh, four, three rest. years. I think you need to rest. Or, or we the need two to of you, you bullied me. You bullied me on the mic. You're like, entrepreneur, entrepreneur. Why is she saying entrepreneur? It's entrepreneur. And you, I just heard you say it with your full mouth and nose, entrepreneur. Oh, 
you know what? You know how when one of your senses are compromised, so like sight, I can't actually see you. Mel, say what you need to say. <laughs> say what you need to say. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, Baba was an entrepreneur <laughs> and would often travel to Uganda to sell his goods. And he often found, oh, there was another business idea that he um, was trying to kickstart that was to do with tea and coffee. I think he was, um, mm. yeah, growing coffee beans or something like that. And what Baba found was that the game was rigged. So his Asian um, white counterparts that were selling the same kind of product were doing really well. And I'll quote the book. Um, It said that Baba was never meant to be a beneficiary of the cash crops that placed Kenya on the map as a producer of tea and coffee. Basically alluding to the fact that, yeah, the game... The idea the of game's the, afoot. Um, yeah, the, the idea of the even level playing field really isn't isn't there. Um, and it just got me thinking about, you know, how it's not just rigged fictitiously, even though I feel like this book is a memoir, so it's real. Um, but then also in real life, there's so many cases of where we've heard that fair trade just isn't fair. Um, mm. Where people on the other end, particularly people from the West, just gain a lot more from... Um, people that are selling resources that are available to us here um, and just making a lot more profit from it so yeah it's just it's just really it's really crap and I think what makes it even more annoying as well is like the number of resources that are available that really should that are available to um Africans not just tea coffee you have um like cocoa we have other minerals as well so many things that make a lot of the products that we we there are metals yes metals that we use here that should really make africa um as a continent a contender with the west contender we would own them gosh if it was if it was if it was based on actual value you know it would be very different yeah but hey ho but but it but it isn't so i think that's another podcast not gonna lie yeah, we'll speak about that separately. <laughs> I, I even have ideas who to bring on. It's a it's a big one when you talk about trade because you're right, it's everywhere. Um, mm. from the farmer to the big companies that come to in quotation marks help. Um, it's everywhere. And it's it's honestly a I see it as like a political move. Um to kind of so in order to maintain governance and dominance over a people group, just don't give them what they deserve so that they will always be the one that's, um, yeah, downtrodden in the, in the end of, at the end of it all. So it reminded me of the Burner Boy song, I think it's called Manifest, where it speaks about, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the history of Unilever. So Unilever. No, it's, it's by Burner and Manifest. Let me, let me find the track. Oh, the artist is called Manifest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. My bad. They're both sick. So Unilever is this multinational consumer good com- com- consumer goods company that owns about 400 plus brands. And um, originally they were actually known as the Niger Company based in Nigeria. Now Britain bought this company in the 1900s. And as we know, like the historical context of Britain owning a lot of West African countries, it was really like a political move. They just wanted to divide and conquer. And... Yeah, to think that Unilever is what it is today from the Niger company. Um, 
yeah, there's just a lot of things, a lot of questions that I have to ask. But there's a, there are so many stories like that. It's like after independence, you know, recently we've it's come to the surface that up until 2015, mm-hmm. UK taxpayers were paying off um, oh, slave God. traders' debts. Um, and then, you know, even after independence, after a lot of African countries got independence, they didn't have enough money to actually govern the 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 nation so what did they have to do they had to go and get loans can you imagine yeah. your country has been raped for how many years and you now have to go to the league of nations mm. at the time or the un to be like oh can we borrow some money i think it was imf actually um it's basically run by these countries that have just let you go they've just moved you from one trap to another and even when you look at the political systems a lot of um francophone countries are are in a much worse situation than the anglophone countries actually whereby they still have very deep connections with the French governments. They're so heavily involved in everything that we do. So, yeah, we're talking about business and trade. But as you say, it's also in our politics. You know, sometimes I know that African politics can be quite disrespected. There's a lot of corruption. We've been through our fair few dictators. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's a situation of... Um, one-eyed man is king and so even though you'll have a corrupt president it's probably you know he's in his corruption and in dealing with these people it's the best situation that they can get given the the circumstances that we've gotten to so far do you know what I mean I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it's the best option for us but I'm saying they're like well if I rob Peter to pay Paul at least Paul can eat for a while and we can deal with Peter later and I'll build a mansion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, yeah. Ethics and business. That's a whole nother discussion in itself. Um, but what I, what it did get me to think about as well as other businesses that are really concerned about giving back to their community. Um, so like I thought of Vitae London, when you purchase a watch from that company, the money that you um, spent is contributed to a child's school uniform or providing a community with solar light. So I have one of those um, watches, by the way. Hey, oh, I know you've helped someone Locked out. Down. I yeah. know I, I can afford it now. I've always told myself I have to like actually invest in this because I know I'm doing good by looking fly. Do you know yeah. how sick that is? Yeah, no, it's really yeah. good. I think it, it, I mean, it doesn't, make up for a lot of the trash that goes along with um fair trade but it's it's helpful to, yeah. to some respect so yeah gosh oh style and technique <laughs> you're big big singing i am yeah um i thought as i said i thought this is one of the best written memoirs i've ever read um the style was seamless i think it ha- it reminded me a bit of um, Purple Hibiscus oh. by by Chimamanda. Can I ever do a podcast without mentioning her? <laughs> Every time I mention Chimamanda, do a shot, you will die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it did remind me of Purple Hibiscus because Purple Hibiscus was told from a child's perspective. And even though um, Jambi goes through different seasons in life, we see like her life as a child, teen, adult. Um, Purple Hibiscus also touched on like um, socio-political issues in Nigeria at the time. We also see some of that in Kenya um, and how it directly affects people. So sometimes 
I hear, you know, stories about um, our dictatorship in Ghana. Oh, am I allowed to say that? Um, Our military regime in Ghana. Um, (laughs) And, you know, other people will have their parents and grandparents stories of Biafra and Nigeria. Um, And this story gave us like a personal account of what is maybe a chap, you know, history. So what we, we look at as history, we can see how it personally affects people and their families. And one thing I'll never forget in um, Purple Hibiscus is the, the main character talking about how they went from drinking cow's milk to homemade soy milk. Um, and as Jambi discusses like things that were going on in her father's business, she talks about how like the house falls apart a bit and this area was neglected, like how she interplays things that seem quite distant um and you know she spoke about how when Joma Kenyatta passed away and how it was all sad you know she she speaks about the effect that it has on the country but then we also see the direct effect that it has on business family her home and you know most of I would almost say her father's demise began when he started struggling with money you know when QE was going through her illness in quotation marks, then they ran out of money, then the pressure kicked in. And then it's like, who are you under pressure? Do you know what I mean? And we can see that from a broader perspective. Um, and that, oh, this is how, this is the ripple effect. But I actually think it's quite difficult to write that so well for the readers to see it. Um, and I also think her being a comedian, can you still hear me? Hear me? You're so quiet. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> I also think her... Good, gone. Oh, thank you. Um, I think her being a comedian um, is also what gives her that storytelling ability because, as we all know, um, one of my husbands is Trevor Noah. Wow. And he's also... <laughs> I think he's also a brilliant storyteller, but if you're telling, like, a joke that isn't, like, a knock-knock joke, of course you have to keep people engaged. So I think all comedians are sick at storytelling well my favorite comedians are sick at storytelling Mm -hmm. so I'm sure that's what's like informed that skill um and then she also like has this interesting way of like making light of a serious situation um so like (laughs) did she have an obsession with her stepmom's nose because she she spoke about her nose a fair bit (laughs) maybe only I noticed (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't in a, a positive light though. She was no. Yeah, she boyed her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I know, but I'm like, I was. I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> she talks about her nose like it's a character in itself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I don't know if you um you have a you know you somebody in your life who's as disruptive as this lady was. She wouldn't. She. I feel like she spoke about her nose more than she did like her divisive nature <laughs> or the way she lied and things like that. But I'm like this woman in the nose, you know, she does stuff like that, and you know, she will make like imagery in like a really difficult situation really light. Um, and it's it wasn't like rolling on the floor humorous all the time, but it just made me smile and be like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was really easy reading. Would you agree that it was easy reading? 
Yeah, one one hundred percent. I I yeah. think I was yeah, going to say because I'm biased. I did easy listening, but I would think no. it's easy reading. I mean, to read two hundred pages or more in in a day, that's definitely easy reading. Yeah. I think, <laughs> and I I really think that's a skill. Yes. Because sometimes, I mean, the secrets are out, guys. Sometimes I think I can write. And because I want to sound like so sweet and poetic and, you know, you want it to come out a certain way. It just comes out clunky. It's just bare words. But she writes so simply and so smoothly. And you hear what she wants to say. Mm. And like, as I say before, it's like you feel it. I can't even describe why her writing bangs. <laughs> like it, it was, we're doing oh. style and technique, but I can't describe why the writing bangs. Yeah, it was really, it's really good. I hope do they know? do justice to the TV show. Is it? I'm not sure if it's a show yeah. or a film, but I, I really hope they do justice to it. Yeah. So yes, what I loved about the book was the relatable parts. Um, Africans aren't a monolith. For those at the back that can't hear, didn't know that. Now you know. Um, but there were moments that I could relate to Ghanaian culture in particular. So weddings are exclusive to all, even though there is a wedding list. <laughs> um, you can invite your mom, your dad, your pet dog. Anyone can come, really. Um, and moments like when her brother, I think he was four years old, that moved out for like one point. Like oh, that was hilarious. He moved out and he came back in. <laughs> she was sad. She was like, I can't believe my parents let him go. They just let him go. And I was like, yeah, boo. It was, oh, it was just so funny. And I, I think that's definitely, her style of writing is modelled after her comedy skits. Whatever strategy she uses for that, I could see some of it in, in, this, in this book, which is great. Awesome. Best bits, worst bits. So my worst bit is just the complexity of people's lives the fact that it's layered um I think what makes it my worst bit is just that some people can find healing and if they do it's in a very gruesome like convoluted way and um for others that are in that process of healing they might not get to that place so yeah it's just tough all around really but my best bit I would say is that the author herself how she came full circle and found peace through it all. I think mm. it will be inspiring for some. It was inspiring for me anyway. Say the yeah, least. absolutely. How about you? Um, I really love the first chapter because it sounded like a poem. And you know me, I'm always trying to do a bit of poetry. Um, but it, it just starts with our family would have been perfect. Um, and she kind of recounts, it's almost like an overview of the whole book of the things that kind of mess things up for her or their family. Um, and I remember listening to it like, why is it starting with a poem? I can't be bothered to pay attention to all of this. But actually throughout the story, um, I kind of started remembering all these things that would have made her family perfect. Mm -hmm. But also hearing how they transpired, I'm like, oh, but that couldn't have been helped. Um, so it was just, it was actually a really beautiful introduction I'm glad that it came at the beginning and not the end to like round everything up it was like a foreshadowing um and even that style of you know that repetition again it helps you feel it mm. it helps you know how much she wishes things were different um but again as you read it and you you actually see how all these things happen you're like well not all of this could have been helped and even though this happened, you know, she's she's living a very fulfilled life 
in England if her family were perfect would she have been in that situation you know so and even I loved how she would talk about um when she spoke about her her career and that oh she, she used to work in IT and then just for the sake of spending more time with her kids she made like a completely different career change so all in that our my our family would have been perfect we see what she wishes her family was you know like perfect standard tick box everything would have been fine but if it wasn't for all the things that did happen um would she be who she is now again coming back to that statement at the back of the book and um going through that process of understanding why things happened the way they were like even though like um it's not a worst bit my least favorite character probably a real person in life sorry yeah even though (laughs) she moved really mad there's clearly something behind that it's clearly something that happened or you know there must be a reason for her behaving the way she was. We can't blame everything on the middle kids, you know? Right. <laughs> like, I'm I'm not sure if she was a middle kid, actually. I don't have um the um family tree. You've got the family tree. Yeah, I do. But what I what I found confusing is that I think Kui's name is something else in the family tree because I can't couldn't find her. Oh, okay, I can see it. It says cuckoo. No, I'm looking at something else. Well, yeah, I think she has a different name. What, oh gosh, and that sorry segue into another styling technique. Um, just learning a lot mm. of the, like the the language that was just throughout the whole book. Yeah, yeah. And Jambi went went in. Um, and again, thank you for translating it into English. I feel like you don't have to just speak whatever you want to speak. <laughs> but for the people that you know want to understand what you are saying, it was much appreciated. The translation. <laughs> well, this is the end of the podcast. Ooh. Thank you so much for listening. I've been a queer a boating. And I have been Melody Obeng. <laughs> I don't know why I said <laughs> Obeng so officially like that. <laughs> oh, remote recording. I miss your face, bruv. I miss you too, man. Aww. Soon come. Bye, guys. Bye, Mel. Bye. <laughs>